Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this before. We teach, we teach this motto to kids. However, if history is any judge, adults could get better at following their own advice. You see, humans have a complicated relationship with free speech. We claim it's a core principle to any modern-day society. Yet at many times in history, people boycott when they hear something they don't like, or even worse, they strike back with violence. Now, revolutionary Americans were susceptible to this kind of behavior. Many American patriots were angered at printers who published pieces loyal to Britain. Didn't they know of the injustices of British rule? There was no time to listen to traitors. These patriots took their outrage out on one printer in particular. His name was James Rivington and he was based in New York City. Go back with me to Thursday, November 23rd, 1775. A collection of American patriots called the Sons of Liberty had it out for Rivington. They advanced on his print shop in New York City. Now that previous April, the battles of Lexington and Concord had taken place. The shot had already been, quote, heard round the world, as the famous phrase goes, and the American Revolutionary War was well underway. Rivington was originally from England. He had been publishing in New York for a couple of years. His paper was fairly neutral, and he printed articles from both perspectives in the debate over loyalty or revolution. In general, many colonial American papers were neutral, or at least they advertised that they were neutral. Neutrality, however, became a hard thing to maintain. Rivington's tracts and stories defending Britain got him into trouble, particularly as the intensity of the revolution escalated. These articles offended pro-independence patriots, and it seemed that he had started to abandon neutrality in preference for loyalists. Because of this, Rivington developed many enemies. His papers were set on fire. Local governments drew up official proclamations of condemnation against him. He was boycotted. On November 23rd, the Sons of Liberty arrived at Rivington's print shop. There were at least a hundred of them. They burst in and clobbered his printing press. They also stole his types. As the Sons of Liberty left, Yankee Doodle could be heard. Meanwhile, 1,500 bystanders had gathered and they shouted, Huzzah! in support. Now these men felt that what they were doing was fundamentally patriotic. They were supporting the cause of liberty from English tyranny. Rivington was a pro-British publisher, and they would make sure he couldn't use his printing press to help his homeland. Of course, Rivington saw things differently. Yes, he was controversial and provocative, yet he felt he was protected to print differing opinions and various sides to issues. In retrospect, it is unusual to think of an Englishman defending fundamental liberties to Americans during the Revolution. Yet here we are. Even American patriots were, at times, slaves to their passions and poor defenders of what would be found in the Bill of Rights. 
Welcome to True Stories You Don't Find in History Books. My name is Dave Knoll. In today's cultural climate, fears of mob rule and cancel culture have emerged. However, mob justice is not new. Neither is silencing someone for what they said. On today's episode, we will explore violence against the printing press in revolutionary America. We will do this through the story of James Rivington. The First Amendment was a product of the American Revolution. So were ransacked print shops and printers running scared for their lives. In February of 1775, or nine months before Rivington's shop was torn apart as we just discussed, a group of loyal Americans out of Newark, New Jersey condemned him and his printing policies. Rivington responded by citing press freedom. He wrote in his paper, the New York Gazetteer, that if he was guilty of a crime, it was, quote, neither more or less than the keeping of a free press in a land of liberty, end quote. He said that everyone deserved to hear both England's and America's perspective in their controversy and the budding revolution. This was a common defense in the colonial press. There was a strong tradition of neutral papers. The revolution, however, changed this, as the polarization of the time forced papers to take sides, either for or against the patriots. The polarized press then led to increased violence and censorship. Prior to this radicalization, papers drew from enlightenment values in making their claim to be neutral. It was a liberal mindset, or so the argument went, for the truth to win out through competing ideas. Printers who published things you didn't like did not make them at fault. Ben Franklin, for example, defended these Enlightenment values. In 1731, he took a job to print an advertisement for a ship that was to go to Barbados and had space for passengers. Franklin then did what he normally did. He printed out the ad and hung it in different places all over town. He didn't think much of it. It was just another job. However, a group of clergymen did not feel it was just a normal ad. This was because the ship's captain apparently had a bias against them. The ad made it clear the ship would not accept clergy on board. The clergy were very upset at Franklin and boycotted his print shop. Franklin wrote of the incident in his newspaper, the Pennsylvania Gazette, quote, They are pleased to say I have too much sense to do things ignorantly that if they were printers, they would not have done such a thing on any consideration that it could proceed from nothing but my abundant malice against religion and clergy. End quote. Franklin then defended his actions in the Gazette. This is what became the famous Apology for Printers. In it, he defends his liberal views of free speech and printing. He wrote, quote, Printers are educated in the belief that when men differ in opinion, both sides ought equally to have the advantage of being heard by the public, and that when truth and error have fair play, the former is always an overmatch for the latter. Hence, they cheerfully serve all contending writers that pay them well, without regarding on which side they are of the question in dispute. Now, in colonial America, printers were not objective in the sense we hope our reporters are today. For one, they weren't journalists as we know them. That is, they didn't have reporters out gathering the news and writing stories. They also didn't practice the same professional norms as we hope our journalists do now. 
such as talking to multiple sources or differentiating between facts and opinions. However, there is ample evidence that many of these colonial printers strive to be what we might call neutral. For example, the Massachusetts spy said it was, quote, open to all parties but influenced by none, end quote. It would publish contributions from both loyalists and patriots. Or, to take another example, Thomas Fleet of the Boston Evening Post once wrote, quote, I am of no party, but act purely as a printer, and would as soon serve one side as the other. The greater the intensity of the revolution, however, the more difficult it was for printers to be neutral. Neutrality was not sufficient because the stakes were too high. They were forced to pick sides. For example, the Massachusetts spy became an outright patriot paper. It even printed the famous Ben Franklin snake in the phrase, join or die, on its front page. In the image, the snake snared down a dragon, which symbolized Great Britain. The intensity of the political climate led to another problem for printers. Patriots would attack papers for being loyalist and vice versa. This was true for Rivington, whose story of his shop being ransacked we told to open this episode. Well before this incident, he said his paper would be, quote, ever open and uninfluenced. However, the more intense the revolution became, the more patriots resented any loyalist documents he published, and he seemed to be printing more and more of them. Patriots burned Rivington's loyalist publications. They boycotted him. Towns officially denounced him. And soon, even more than these things, he will be forced to confront more attacks. The mob had come for him. Now, not only had the fervor of revolutionary America led to an increased partisanship among newspapers, it also escalated violence against printers to respond to this heightened partisanship. On April 13, 1775, the Sons of Liberty hung a dummy from a tree with a rope around the neck. It was Rivington in effigy. They were trying to get back at him for the things he had printed in favor of Britain. This happened in New Brunswick, New Jersey. A poem hung near the Rivington effigy. Quote, that tree on which my body hanged will be, which they once called by name of Liberty. A growing monument will there remain of my past, present, and my future shame. Through the poem, the Sons of Liberty threatened others that they might be hung in effigy, just as Rivington was, should they get in the way. These American patriots were serious about shutting down papers they did not like. The tide had turned against free speech. Neither the hanging nor the poem scared Rivington. A week later, he recreated the scene with a picture in his paper. In this picture, a man hung by the neck from a tree branch. The man's face looked like Rivington. Above the picture, a caption read, quote, Last Thursday was hung up by some of the lower class of inhabitants at New Brunswick an effigy representing the person of Mr. Rivington, the printer at New York, merely for acting consistent with his profession as a free printer. Meanwhile, the Sons of Liberty hung Rivington in effigy in other places. 
He was known across the colonies for his controversial documents. Now, he was also known for being ridiculed and mocked and for having a staged execution. A month after the effigy incident in New Brunswick, the Sons of Liberty went even further in their assault on Rivington. They attacked his print shop and his home in New York City. This was a separate incident from the one we discussed to open this podcast. That one happened a few months later. We'll revisit it in a minute. Rivington escaped, but not without a fight. He headed for the harbor and faced a group of sailors trying to stop him. He finally made it to a British ship, the Kingfisher. He was safe there. Rivington was not the only printer to suffer the consequences of printing controversial material. Six years earlier, for example, another printer was put through a similar scenario. John Mine and a colleague founded the Boston Chronicle in 1967. While the paper was neutral at first, eventually it became known as pro-British. Much of this had to do with Mine's personal activism. He rejected a boycott on the importation of English goods, arguing against it in his paper. Because of this, patriots were out to get him. For example, just as Rivington was hung in effigy, so was Mine. Aggression towards the Boston printer stands out on one day in particular. On a Saturday afternoon in October of 1769, Mine left his print shop. On the Boston streets, he encountered a group of patriots who had been offended by his publications. They let him know what they thought of him. Then, fearing the crowd, Mine took out a gun. While seeking safety, he fired, striking the sleeve of a British military man standing guard. Mine was able to escape. Eventually, he fled to a ship in the Boston Harbor and then went to England, afraid of the consequences for firing his gun and striking someone. Whether it was against Mine or Rivington, printers in revolutionary America were playing with fire when they published documents in defense of England. While Mine fled following his encounter with the angry group of patriots, Rivington continued to print after his escapade in the harbor. However, he would not continue for very long. The Sons of Liberty were, unfortunately, still a threat to him and his printing business. As we discussed at the opening of this episode, in November of 1775, or six months following his escape to the Kingfisher, the Sons would attack his home and his print shop again. It was completely destroyed. This, finally, was enough for Rivington to flee the country. He feared for his safety, so he and his family moved back across the Atlantic to England. This whole story presents a seeming contradiction. On the one hand, America is known as a nation that has protections for free speech, perhaps more so than any other country. This comes primarily through the First Amendment. Yet, at the time when the First Amendment was established, many American revolutionaries censored speech they didn't like. One of the great things about the first generation of Americans was that the founding principles did not depend upon their failures. That is, these principles were created to protect individual rights from the depravity of human nature, even their own. While these principles were not applied equally, over time we continue to make progress in doing so. In regards to free speech, 
Many Americans struggled to rein in their anger during the revolution. As we've discussed today, printers were ran out of the country. Still, the First Amendment lasted a lot longer than these fleeting passions. There are legitimate concerns today about cancel culture. There are real worries about not being able to share openly and honestly about political beliefs. In part, this is to be expected. It's human nature to let passions of the moment lead us to make enemies of one another. It's human nature to be uncomfortable when friends or family disagree on controversial issues. However, it's virtuous when we rise above these urges. Please find information posted below about sources used for this episode, as well as ways you can connect with the show. Have a great one, everybody.